Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 241. So what do you guys want to do tomorrow? This week we're discussing the series finale of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Chosen. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Well, my goodness. Yeah. The time is here. I know. I can't believe it. You know, like, a little we've bit. been doing this for a while, and and this feels momentous because we caught up with Doctor Who like a while ago and then had to like take a break and do a whole other show before we could come back to it. Um, and, you know, it's got those 13 episode seasons and it goes much faster, but like doing all of Buffy, you know, all 22 episodes per season and interspersing it with Angel to finally get to the last episode feels like an accomplishment. I'm not sure what I'll do with myself now that I don't have brand new episodes of Buffy I, to watch I know. every week. <laughs> you, you end up binge watching um, the entire series in like two weeks. <laughs> there you go. Start over. Um, now knowing yeah, sure. all, probably not two weeks, but maybe in like six well, months. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think um, when I've sort of cleanse my palate and and I they can, can go back and appreciate all the foreshadowing and all the that's the whole other level of it you know which you know I think doing it the way we do where you kind of have an expert and a newbie like you get some of that of the the experienced viewer sort of steering you know like you're kind of pointing out things that I wouldn't have noticed um but definitely at the point that I rewatch it, it's going to be like, you know, picking up a lot of things that never occurred to me the first time through, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I sort of also kind of made a, not an executive decision. I <laughs> let you have input, but um, also kind of wanted to just only do this one episode for this one because I have a sense that we'll probably go a little long on it. That tends to happen with big finale episodes and momentous episodes. And I want to kind of give this one some room to breathe and not feel like we need to like limit mm -hmm. ourselves and wrap it up too quickly. So, um, so yeah, we have a whole episode devoted to chosen. So you had some production notes that, um, you wanted to start with before we got into yeah. the episode so, itself. Actually, I was just thinking as you were talking about like the momentousness of coming to the end of this. Um, we started, we posted our first episode in, in early June. Right? Wasn't it? Uh, is that five years ago? Yeah. Now? Wow. Um, which yes, it is. I say that because today that when we're recording this is May thirtieth, so like June's a couple days away. Um, mm -hmm. so and yeah, 
Yeah, we should probably uh, factor a uh, bonus anniversary right. episode right. in there well, somewhere. In well, the and, and there there is a little bit of a delay of a few weeks between when we record and, and when we post things. So, like, it doesn't line up perfectly, but that's auspicious. <laughs> like, that's a, that's a, you know, just sort of a, a thing, you know, if auspicious you call it. Um, you know, just, just sort of was thinking that. But yes, um, the, well, and then the other thing that I thought of when you were saying, like, you allowed me to have some input, kind of, into the decision to, uh, you know, just focus on this episode, is, like, that actually made for really awkward reading of that opening. It's like, today we're going to talk about Buffy Chosen, and that's it. <laughs> like, there was there was nothing more after that. So, um, <laughs> just... Uh, yeah as i was reading that it kind of like threw me a little that it, it it felt cut short i don't think that means that the discussion itself will be cut short but um yeah we'll we'll have plenty to say i'm sure but it was just kind of like something i noticed in passing while uh you know while reading that out so um yeah yeah production notes um well so first of all, and you know, not surprisingly, uh, directed and written by uh, Joss, of course. Um, which you know we've come to expect, although, as we kind of learn, you know, and seen, he hasn't always been uh, quite as involved in these last couple of seasons, especially um, in this particular year, as we. Uh, get him going off and doing, you know, not just only Angel, but also uh, Firefly. Um, there are, so we'll get into like seasonal awards and stuff next week, but um, this episode in particular uh, what ha came up for a few awards, including one of the rare Emmy awards that the series got uh, nominated for that didn't win. Um, in in of, of course in a technical category um, for special visual effects for a series, um, but but not not too shabby. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, mm -mm. you know the other award that it got uh, went up for is our good friend the Hugo Award for best dramatic presentation of a short uh, short form, and. Um, it was actually up against two Firefly episodes. So very Whedon heavy uh, selection this year. Um, no Angel episodes, though, um, which, you know, we've talked about season four of Angel. Like maybe maybe we're OK with none of them having gone up against mm -hmm. uh, any of these other episodes. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, none of those uh, Whedon shows one, so this is um, this is only the second year that they were doing. Uh, I believe it was the second. I actually I lost I lost my page here. It was only it was only like the second year, or third year that they were doing the short form dramatic presentations. Um, and we talked we've talked about that before. Right. But uh, what ended up winning was that ridiculous um, MTV award speech from Gollum for Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Um, so, <laughs> like, 
you know. That's funny. Uh, or or I, I don't know if it was, I, I think it was, I think it was Return yeah, of the King. Yeah, come on, you guys. That time. I, I might be wrong on which of the movies it was, but it was like one of those kind of things where it was like, okay, I guess. Like, you know, what are you going to do in that instance? Like, yeah. Lord of the Rings just kind of wrapped up all the awards, uh, you know, in that period. Um, but just just right. as a reminder, just, right. just even, as a reminder, though, like, ones. this is also so, you know, again, with these awards, too, you're spanning like seasons and stuff because they're like calendar years. But like um, the, the year before. Uh, conversations with dead people uh, was the episode that um, that won mm-hmm. and uh, there was an angel episode waiting in the wings that was nominated um, and a Firefly episode Serenity the, the pilot episode of Firefly that mm-hmm. was nominated that year too so like you know it, it's interesting to me like like this is conversations with dead people was fairly early in the season Um or at least, I mean, you know, in the first half mm-hmm. of the season. And, uh, you know, the fact that we're we're getting another episode here sort of nominated from the same season, not going back, you know, to season six, um, is, is kind of interesting, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Anywho, so uh, just wanted to note those uh, particular for, um, you know, the awards as far as... Uh, the episode in itself goes. Um, there's also like, like we should talk about maybe like public reception um, or fan reception even. And I feel like what's interesting here is that um, mm-hmm. we, we can get into our own reactions in a minute, but like it, there is a, a more of maybe a, uh, oh, what's what's the word? Um, ambivalence or mixed reviews, as they sometimes refer to it, um, about this episode than maybe one might expect. Um, we've talked before about episodes that sort of always make it onto like top ten lists. Um, we could probably think of a couple off the top of our heads, like Hush, uh, Once More with Feeling. Um, those are the two that come to mind anyway. There's probably like maybe one or two others. Um, but this isn't one of those. And now, I mean, if you extend the list out to like top 20 or 25, then yeah, it's probably going to show up, but not, not necessarily in the top 10 list. Um, and I was noticing this kind of as I was going through mm-hmm. um, last year's. So last year was the 20th anniversary of the not the finale, but the, the, you know, beginning the premiere of Buffy and um, sort of along with that, you get a lot of people talking about their favorite episodes and, and making like new round of lists, um, you know, for, for sort of the uh, series and kind of, you know, as a way to sort of reflect back on why they love it. Um, and so like, you know, again, like looking at some of those lists, uh, there's certainly like, you know, uh, like Den of Geek and Vox and, and Telegraph and, um, you know, other like publications definitely have 
it on their list, but they're like usually in like the teens or or maybe even a little like further down. They're not like in the top ten. And then there's others that publish lists that don't have them in in those top spots. I mean, there's there's also like lists of like every episode ranked, and so of course it makes it onto that list because it's an episode and it ranks somewhere. But like even those ones, like it's it's typically not mm-hmm. like in the top ten, um, which I find really interesting. Like if if this yeah. is sort of a culmination and like, I feel like there's, well, we can talk about how we feel about the episode. So anyway, like I wanted to note that. I also wanted to note that like, while I think it's generally received well, um, even like Joss Whedon didn't put it on his list of 10. Like we talked about that a little while back, I think where he's got like, the wish and doppelgangland and hush and the body. Oh, oh, the body. There's another one that usually makes it in the top 10. Um, but like, he doesn't list this episode, um, even though he does list conversations with dead people, um, which we just mentioned. So, um, yeah, just even like as an episode that he made and like is sort of the culmination of this work that he did, like he doesn't consider it in the top 10 either. So, I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit um, and just sort of like reflect because you tweeted out last week or the week before. I don't even remember when it was because like we, we had a week where we kind of skipped recording um, due to some travel. But the uh, when you tweeted out, you tweeted like, oh, hey, like I finished Buffy. And like that was it. <laughs> and there was no sense in your tweet or in subsequent tweets that at least that I saw about what you thought about it. And so my own, like, I mean, I'm going to do like crit fic on you for a minute because like, I feel like if, if you had really liked it or really hated it, that would have come through somehow, like that you would have stated that. I mean, maybe not, maybe I'm just, projecting uh, you know my own thoughts or whatever but like I feel like the fact that you didn't state kind of one way or the other and maybe it was just a processing thing and you wanted to have time to think about it but I feel like maybe that shows you were maybe somewhat in that ambivalent mode as well um but like I should probably let you talk and actually tell me what you thought of it rather than like projecting and critficking you directly but that's just sort of how i took it um tell me if i'm right or wrong and we can go from there mm-hmm. yeah um i don't think you're entirely wrong i think that i'm more on the side of liking it than that if i'm in that ambivalent camp i'm i'm i lean towards the you know, positive side of things. Um, I feel like it is, um, I'm trying to decide which of two directions to go in my stream of consciousness. Um, I, I feel like it's that, I don't necessarily think it's a typical season series finale. Like we can talk about if the things it does are typical of a end of a show or not, but like, it's the thing I've had with many other shows that I've liked and loved that um, 
where the final episode, like, even if I don't um, dislike it or have problems with what it did, um, it doesn't feel like one that would make, like, my personal top 10 or top 20 or whatever. And I feel like that's fairly common with mm. season with with series finales. Like like even when you don't entirely hate it. Like there are people that really hate certain season finales. Even when I don't agree and think that like you know, Battlestar Galactica was ruined by its final episode or what or Seinfeld or Lost or what, all these shows that I like that people really vehemently hate the ending. Um I feel like even when I appreciate what they are doing, none of those season finale or those series finales are among my favorite episodes. It's sort of like, I feel like the job it has to do is so difficult that if you can land like a solid, okay, we ended it in a way that gave a certain amount of satisfaction, then like I'm kind of not expecting more than that. You know, like, I, I mean, I don't know that I can think of maybe one or two where, like, the ending is, like, one of my absolute favorite parts of it. Um, that's in a, that's in a TV show. I think it's different when you're talking about a different medium. Like, in a novel or in a movie, I think the ending, the the weight of the ending is more, has, like, a greater sort of gravity to it. Um but the fact that it's like, all right, how do you wrap up Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which has been going for seven years and where it's evolved into something that you had no idea, you know, you, Joss, and, and the writers didn't know when you started what it was going to end up being. And you didn't know how long it would go. And you didn't know which actors would be involved or what the characters were going to be doing or which parts of it the audience were going to love or hate or whatever. Like, to me, like, the idea of, like, just not completely falling flat on your face for mm -hmm. the ending is, like, something of an achievement. And, you know, I never really feel like if I get a kind of decent episode for the finale sure. that I've been, like, cheated out of something. Um, whereas, like, I think at times people, and that's not to say there aren't things to critique about all of those finales, but people sometimes act as if, like, the finale should be the most blind, you know, mind blowing thing that ever happened. And it's like, what? I've never, I've never seen a finale that like was the best episode of the show. Um, so anyway, I feel like this falls broadly into that category of like, it's a decent ending. I don't think it's like a completely mind altering, like, oh my God, I'll never watch this, the, you know, the show the same way again sure. kind of ending. But, um, but like, so I want to talk about the, the pacing, well, which you brought I, up as I a particular critique, because um, I can before probably... Before we get into like some of the specific yes. critiques, because yes. I, I just, well, first I wanted to say that I actually like it. I, I, yeah. I do like it. I don't, would it go into my top 10? I don't know. I've never made a top yeah. 10 list. So like, I can think of a lot of episodes that I like, and so maybe not, but I feel like it would probably make top 20, you know, top 15 even. Um, mm -hmm. Your comment, so 
being maybe the one one of the people who frequently complains about you know how series end including most of the ones you just mentioned like vsg <laughs> and and Lost, so all the ones i just um, listed and how i met your mother and probably yeah i can go on um although i did i did like the ending of seinfeld so there's the exception but i feel like actually oh 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 you're the one well and I, <laughs> no i i know it's I, not. that's not a popular like, opinion actually you and i have never had that discussion which is surprising given how much we both like seinfeld but that's for a different <laughs> That's for a different day. Um, sure. I, okay. I love the well, ending of Seinfeld. Well, by the well way. good. But anyway, so, not to go off on that tangent. Actually, what I what I think that I see as being similar between Seinfeld and Puffy, which is a comparison I never thought I would make, um, is that I feel like <laughs> as much as you might like or hate. It, I feel like the endings for both are true to what the series is, which is like in a lot of ways for both of them mm-hmm. kind of experimental. They're, they're different. They're, it's not just that like they, you know, the, the series finales are like different than other series finales. It's like the series themselves are different than other series. And so I think part of what I like about mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll stick to Buffy here and we can debate Seinfeld some other time, maybe on Twitter or something. Um, what I think I like about this is that it continues to like evolve the mythology in a way that makes sense with the mythology. And I think when it comes to things like that, mm-hmm. That's where I have problems with things like the BSG and Lost. And we and like and I don't want to get into an argument over mm-hmm. whether those things do or do not evolve the mythology in a certain way or not. But like I think those are the types of things where I have problems with yeah. how the series end and and how I met your mm-hmm. mother as well. Like like those it, they end in in ways that seems like the writers and here I am picking again, but it feels like the writers are just trying to throw in a loop for the loop's sake and not in like service of what else is going Mm -hmm. on in this series. Now, maybe that's not their intent or maybe that's, you know, just Mm -hmm. based on interpretation. But I feel like with, with Buffy here, the way that things go, when you look at them, they feel logical based on what the rest of the series is about and how it Mm -hmm. evolves over time. Um, And so given that Mm -hmm. I can forgive some of the more technical problems that people might pick out, like pacing or um, even Mm -hmm. certain plot devices. I mean, it kind of depends on what the plot device is because like some of them are really important, whereas other ones like are maybe less important. And so, like, I feel like I'm. It, it's easier for me to get forgive some of those when, like, on the whole, the episode feels like it's doing something that the entire series did all along. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, nothing here is, um, like, out of left field or in violation of the characters or the principles or the message or, like, all of those sort of core values that it has. And and yet, Um, even though those things are not out of left field, they're still, like, surprises. Like, they still do things that are unexpected, but they're unexpected within... Mm-hmm. They work, even though they're unexpected, within within the framework of the show. And that's where I feel yeah. like some of those other shows, yeah. the things yeah. that they do, don't work because they're kind, they kind of, like, I don't know, lift, lift that secondary world veil for me. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, there definitely are surprises in terms of, like, I mean, we'll get into the big kind of, you know, what Buffy's plan is being this sort of fulfillment of, like, you know, what we might call the kind of feminist message of the show. Um like, I think that's what that's what you're waiting yeah. for, but you don't quite know how it's going to happen. It's some sort of capstone. Like, what does this mean? And you get that in this episode. Like, how are things going to change for the future? And we get, like, a very definitive, here's how, like, the story of Buffy's journey, we get a definitive break in that whatever comes next, it's going to be different because she fundamentally changed the world and the way that things operate. So you get that as a kind of like, yeah, you know, I guess that's kind of a twist you could say is like the whole mm-hmm. Slayer activation plot line. Um, you know, and then, I mean, beyond that, it's, it's character twists. Sure. It's who's going to die and who's going to live and, and kind of the, you know, like the audience, second you know trying to be a step ahead and you know them kind of veering in and misleading you and all that sort of thing um you know and I don't think it by intention I don't think it's doing anything there are no twists for better or for worse there are no twists that are trying to do the like bsg like five million years in the future this was all in the past like like, you know and that Right, like, so you could say that that makes this a safer thing, but, like, it also isn't trying to throw in one twist too many. It's also, like, it knows what it wants to do, which is wrap up Buffy's story and give you closure while also kind of suggesting, here's how things, you know, without saying what the characters are going to do, here's how things are changed for the future. Because I also don't, like... I dislike it when um, things don't really end, when, like, they kind of don't really have the courage to really end it, and you just get a sense that, well, we could just keep going, but this just was the last episode, like, for no reason. Um, Like, much as I like the end of Friends, I kind of feel like that about Friends. Like, the only thing that changes is that they're not in the apartment anymore. But, like, they're all still together. Mm. So, like, I have a sense that I'm missing out on something. That, like, the story just continues. It's just in right. Westchester instead right. of <laughs> in, like, the apartment. Whereas, like, so I feel like that's what they try to give you here is, like, while clearly the story continues, mm. like, it, there's still an ending. 
like it's the end of quite Sunny literally Dog, yeah um as a place which is a very definitive you know kind of okay we can't whatever wherever we go we're not going back into that sinkhole um mm. and also like there's a break in the tradition of like the whole shift of the slayer paradigm changes Buffy's life in the sense that she's not the chosen one anymore right. that there's this whole other sort of world beyond her so they do kind of they manage to walk that line between like leaving it somewhat open-ended sure. but also giving you like closure um so yeah so I think they kind of handle that pretty well in a way that's satisfying and to bring up the pacing I I don't know what the critiques are I could probably guess what I think they might be but I was impressed by the pacing in this episode that I can't believe that this is mm. a 42 minute episode like especially like nowadays where you know drama shows are routinely an hour to an hour and a half long for like a normal episode like an average everyday just a Tuesday night kind of episode. And then, you know, you would like easily, this could have or should have been a two hour, yeah. you know, 245 minute season, yeah, like... you know, series finale. <laughs> and exactly. And the fact that like, or an extended episode or whatever, like give them 10 extra minutes, but that like, they don't get a second, like, that like I looked at the timestamp and it's like that episode is 42 minutes long and I can't like the fact that to me it it doesn't feel hmm. terribly rushed in the pacing is kind of shocking um now that might be because they keep it pretty simple like when we were looking through our outline like you know there's really like the kind of initial stuff with what's the plan going to be? And then everything right. after that is just the execution of like the battle. Um, so it's not like they're trying to have like subplots and twists and turns and all that kind of thing. But like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I could easily see the two episode version of this where like, you know, the whole Willow part of it gets fleshed out of like her magic becomes more like a more complicated thing or you know whatever we could pick or choose the sure. scenes where we would want to see more of it but um the fact that they do fit it in and it didn't feel to me like um like it was jumping too quickly from one character yeah. in one scene to the so, next so i mean i know that that's a criticism i don't necessarily no, like I don't know that I can uh, succinctly or or yeah uh, accurately articulate, articulate why some people feel that way. I I would suspect that yeah, like it's. I think there are people who do feel like it was rush, and so like the specifics of that, you know, we would have you we I'd I'd probably I probably should have done a better job of like looking up what those were, but at least wanted to, like, bring up, like, the idea of, like, some people think pacing is a problem, so let's talk and, and see what we think. I generally agree with you, and I think, because, like, 
as I'm thinking through it, and even as you were talking, I was just thinking about, like, we get moments with, like, quiet moments. I mean, like, even in in a action-packed, full-on mm-hmm. episode where, like, big, important things happen, we get moments like Buffy and Faith kind of, like, checking out the scythe and, um, you know, Faith and Robin, like you know, having their little conversation sort of pre-battle prep. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, like, the 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 brief, like, conversation in sort of the lobby of the school, you know, between the main cast there. <laughs> and, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of those little moments, which I feel like are the very Buffy-esque, normal, everyday moments Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, by the way, we happen to be fighting like the ultimate big bad, you know, at the same time. Um so like I, yeah. I kind of agree with yeah. you, like like there's there might be specific things to criticize and say, okay, like it would be nice if they had spent a little more time on Willow in this one scene or whatever. Okay, like that's fine. But like on the whole, I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that is the case. Uh, myself either so yeah well and I think that like the expectation is that like I don't you know or the thing that I find myself like trying to remind myself is that you won all of those character Mm -hmm. payoffs in the last episode it's like you feel like like I could say I want I wish there was more of like that little glimpse we got of the kind of throwback to the Buffy Xander Willow dynamic could have used more mm-hmm. of that. Like the reminder of this core three of like where we started, you know, maybe we didn't emphasize that enough, but then it's also, you have to remember like they're sure. setting those up yeah. in the episodes prior as well. Like you're getting payoff all the way through the final season, you know? Um, and like, it's, I feel like a lot of times the expectation is to do it all in this final episode and that's not always practical or if right. you do then it's really too overstuffed and you know you didn't give yourself room to breathe in the Well final and episode. actually the other the other so, moment too um, of course is uh, you know, Anya and Andrew in the hospital you know like getting supplies and stuff and it's like mm-hmm. whatever you think about those two characters like Right. That's kind of a brilliant scene, especially when it like ends with them doing like wheelchair fights. You know what I mean? Like, which is, you know, completely them, but also like. Right. Right. I don't know. I like. Right. Yeah, you can want maybe more with like the three, you know, well, four, including Giles, like main Scoobies, but like, there's so much more to it. And I feel like. Like, the fact that they do have those quiet little moments that, that are, like, poignant and don't feel like we're just stuffing this in there to, like, fill time, you know, which certainly there are episodes and, and mm-hmm. finale episodes that do exactly that. Um, I I think it works really well. And, and then especially when you get, mm-hmm. like, the payoff of, like, Andrew lives, but then Anya dies. And, like you know, what, what are sort of the implications of that in retrospect with their conversation and sort of the assumption, the assumption that Andrew makes that he's going to die, but then also like Mm 
yeah the admission from Anya of like or not admission but like the change in Anya of over what five six seasons of of her going from you know Mm -hmm. I'm running away to I'm staying and actively like I don't mean to get into her character specifically we can talk about her later but like just that idea of like like it highlights Mm. very much the like ways that she has changed and for both of them in that moment and it's like I can't say that any conversation between the core Scoobies would have been better than that and I mean you know me I'm a Anya fan so like maybe that's just where all of this is coming from but I like sure I think it all works out like i think it all is still legitimate even even if i might be predisposed to like anything her character does Mm -hmm. um so sure right well and you real it's you don't get it at first but you kind of realize that that was more so than like what physically happens to them in this episode that was the farewell to their characters like that was the big for both Andrew and Anya that was the big emotional sort of payoff it's just that like now in here you're seeing the consequences of that um like you know Andrew's willingness to go in even though he believes he's gonna die and his sort of astonishment when he doesn't um and then Anya like you know following through on these new perspectives that she has and, you know, kind of, you know, sacrificing everything for them. Um, but like, I feel like you have to kind of fold in the rest of the season or the last cluster of episodes to get like, otherwise, like, yeah, to kind of, I could see people saying like, oh, well, Anya getting killed is just sort of like dealt with without any great, like yeah. weight or detail. Um, but that's not true, I think, if you think of sure. if you include that hospital scene. Um, and you but, kind of realize that that hospital scene of is like, sort of setting I mean, up. Um, so so I, I don't want to get randomness into and the brutality of it. Into yeah. Anya specifically at this point, but like Joss has talked about why Anya dies the way she does. And like that's like that's a very deliberate thing like where we actually have you know i mean we can always choose to listen or not listen to what the auteur has to say but like you know we have a very specific mm-hmm. uh uh comments of you know from him about anya's death so like we can look at those <laughs> like that's one place where we can yeah. we can see if it holds up and if it makes sense and all of that yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, to sum up, I can see where the critiques come, but I don't know how much I ultimately agree with them. I think in terms of the pacing and fitting everything in that it does, it succeeds more than it fails mm-hmm. to do that. Um, you know, given the difficulty of what all they're trying to do here um so yeah in terms of talking through the episode um 
before we get into like the last battle and sort of the fates of all the characters, I guess maybe we can go through the more plot centric beginning. Um, although plot centric, what I want to start with is the Angel, Buffy, Spike trio, um, that little triangle there, um, and kind of talk through their interactions and their dynamics and everything. Um, because it kind of all comes down to, you know, what is it, Bangel or Spuffy in the end? Um, which I didn't realize, I mean, I knew it last episode because we saw him, but before that, I didn't, I don't think I had any hint that Angel would show up in the finale. Sure. I wasn't expecting <laughs> him to, because there's been so be, little be, interaction be before, between like, the Lila two shows. Before, like, handing him the thing and is like, Give this to Buffy, give this to Buffy, give this to Buffy. <laughs> well, yeah, like before, yes, like before, like right, they right. make it clear that that's where it's going. Like, then I knew. But like before all that started, I wouldn't have predicted that he would be, because again, I would have felt like it's too much. Like, that's not his show anymore. There's not room for him. So, um the fact that they find a way to sort of fit him in is again, impressive given all that there is to do. Um, so, I mean, I guess the main, well, we can mention Caleb who wakes up for another round and then <laughs> gets mm -hmm. promptly sliced in, you know, down the middle. Um, which is a good kind of fake out in the beginning. And I feel like is like a reminder that he's there so that when the first comes back later, you have like that recent memory of like, oh yeah, he's dead. That's the first again. Um, but I mean, other than, so I don't know if you have anything else. I don't have no. anything else to say. About I, I mean, I think it's sort of like a, a shock moment of like, oh my gosh, like, because we've seen like he's powerful and you know can heal and stuff like that and like so i think it's just a reminder but then like like mm -hmm. there's this idea of this scythe being like very powerful weapon that in the hands of a slayer can defeat even sort of like these big bad you know characters because i i think that's the key is that we're expecting caleb to sort of be the the final big bad even though we kind of know in the back of our minds that like, there's still these like um, vampires, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Turacan down in uh, like beneath the school, beneath the Hellmouth and stuff like, like one, we haven't seen them in mm -hmm. a little while. So like maybe people have forgotten about them a little bit, but also like, I think, I think in the last several episodes, we've been getting this idea of Caleb really being sort of, the hand of the first right and and especially with like the melding of their power mm -hmm. you know or or rather the the giving of the first power to caleb kind of in the previous episode like you get the sense that like he's gonna play the significant role in the big battle scene or whatever and then like he just doesn't and so yeah. i think but again like i think that's sort of like that's yeah. typical. Like we've seen previous seasons, even even in season season seven here, where like you you get like big bad fake outs, and you know, 
it's well maybe less in season seven because we kind of know from the beginning that like there's this power even though we don't necessarily know what it is right away um but like like this is kind of like the mm -hmm. same kind of thing i feel like that we've seen all all sort of along that like i guess begs the question of like like maybe what what is ultimately the big bad like it's still kind of the first but it's like in the end if i can make some like big concluding remark when we still probably have like two hours worth of talk to do like in the end like the first isn't a <laughs> uh doesn't have a physical manifestation now we get kind of a one-off line of like you know with enough like if enough if enough if like certain events transpire then like it can take a physical form um but like i don't even think that's like that important of a like a thing like that's just kind of like a there's like maybe a small little plug for a plot hole like like why does the first matter like it's just sort of this incorporeal incorporeal mm -hmm. being but like it matters because it can convince other people that it matters like it's one of the it's like a confident it's like it's like paper money, right? Like mm -hmm. it works because everyone thinks it works, right? Like it, yeah, ev everyone just sort of agrees that this agrees that system works, yeah. is okay. Yeah. And as long as that, as long as people think that, then like it actually has power. But like beyond like appearing in the form of dead people, like what mm -hmm. can the first actually do? Like it seems like not much. And so it really comes down to this like confidence game. Um, and so I think what, with mm -hmm. Caleb specifically, it becomes, it, it's like this thing of like, yes, he's strong and, and like, he's got some magical, you know, whatever. And I guess the first does give him that. So there are like things that it can do, um, at least to some degree, but like, ultimately, like, it's still not, like, Caleb's still not as powerful as Buffy, and especially Buffy with this like, new scythe you know weapon that has like presumably been here for a very long time and just waiting for the right you know person to come pull it out of the stone um so that was a lot mm -hmm. to say that i don't have anything more to say about caleb but like i think like i don't think that there's much <laughs> more to talk about with him well and I mean, I don't know, maybe we'll kind of shoot the wad with the first, like maybe we can get more into this later, but just to kind of, while I'm thinking of it, respond to the first as sort of like, you know, the ultimate big bad and how impressive is the first really. I, I, I kind of think it's good that the first is defeated in the end, but kind of not really. Like, like you said, there's never anything, it never reaches that corporeal right. form. There's never anything physically to defeat. Like, what, what are defeated are the, like, the uber vamps and, you know, and, and the hell mouth is closed with this sort of collapse. And, and like, so, like, this one particular like apocalypse is like, averted. I mean, 
maybe there's no such thing as never, but, yeah, but like this one, like yes. it seems like <laughs> the Sunnydale Hellmouth is like right. no longer open for business. It, yeah, is shot for yes, yeah. Well, but but I think it's important that that doesn't mean that the first is gone or killed or whatever. Like, and nor should it be because what it is is the root of all evil. You know, and I think that, like, that's what that sort of, again, slightly open-ended ending is getting at, is that, like, the fight continues. This isn't that all evil was ended forever. Um, You know, there are still vampires. There's another Hellmouth in Cleveland. And and the first, as a a presence or an idea or whatever it is, still exists somewhere you know it's not it's not close to you know defeating the earth with an army anymore for the time being but um but you know i think if they kind of keep the first sort of shadowy that's sort of appropriate because like it would that would feel too trite to just say well we killed you know the root of all evil in the world and like well, yeah, Problem and that's solved, like, that would know, totally like, be against, <laughs> um, I think, sort of what Buffy has been all along, which is that, like, not only is that, there, that like, that there's evil in the world, but, like, everybody, literally, like, everybody is capable of it. And, like, throughout the series, all of the main characters are tempted by mm-hmm. various types, and, and all of them at mm-hmm. some point fall, you know, into some you know, evil act for, but, you know, right. Whether they believe it's good reasons or not, you know, like sometimes it's, you know, they think it's justifiable and and maybe it even is actually justifiable, but like that doesn't make it not bad, you know, not evil. And so I think you're right. Like, I, I agree with you is what I'm saying is that like, I think there's definitely, a sense where this just it feels like an appropriate response because that's kind of where the series has taken us all along. Yeah. Yeah, right. And that like ultimately the first is the big bad. Like, you know, I don't I don't think as much as they might want to lead you into thinking Caleb might be it's like he like you said he is just another henchman and he slices and dices Mm -hmm. as well as the next you know bad guy um so yeah his his presence is kind of more you know unimpressive than he seems to be at first um anyway None of that had anything to do with yeah, Angel we, and We talked Ruffin a long time about Spike. Caleb for not so, wanting to talk about Caleb. Um, yeah, for saying that we're finished with Caleb. Um, so I guess the main thing with these guys is Buffy's cookie dough speech. And, you know, her kind of conclusion that after all the angsting and hemming and hawing over these different you know loves of her life um you know and we'll throw riley in there and some of the other 
like if, you if know we, one off yeah, sort of yeah, relationship. Well, so does that, that mean we have to put Parker in there? Why not? <laughs> sure. Why not? Um, like the kind of recontextualizing all that, not as like a love triangle in the sense that like she's, you know in love with different people at the same time or that she's indecisive or that she's, you know, like you know, torn between all these things, but kind of reaching this conclusion that like, she's young, you know? And like, she was like, what, 16 when the story started like and she's only now, yeah. still like at the age where she would be like graduating college and kind of like, the maturity of realizing it's not that I don't know what I want or that all my relationships are doomed to failure or that I only pick the worst people, but it's that she's still baking. Like she's not through evolving into her complete self yet enough to really know who or what she wants. Um, and any sort of decision about that would be, premature and probably doomed because she's not really ready to know um you know and like you know angel sort of fishes like well maybe you'll be ready in a few years and you can tell me who you will be ready for and you know her kind of saying like well by definition um she doesn't know like the idea of predicting what you're gonna want when you're fully mature is sort of like sure. defies the point of the growing process um so yeah like i think ultimately <laughs> you know that maybe that satisfies um bless you maybe that kind of i don't know satisfies no one by refusing to choose but i feel like that's kind of like a good call on the part of the writers to say like I don't know we don't have to definitively answer this debate like and that's a way of letting the debate continue you know of not saying because I feel like if you had her choose Angel or Spike in this episode that would be the kind of definitive way to say see she was really meant to be mm -hmm. with X all along um Whereas I feel like what the, what it's kind of saying is like, no, she's drawn to both of them in different times and in different ways. And the reason she doesn't know is because she's not ready to know. And maybe it's neither of them, you know, but um, but that doesn't mean that the fans can't still rewatch and have fun having this argument forever. And and um, they do. And the argument still goes. So, on. yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And the, the argument, and I'm sure the argument rages into the comics and all the like, you know. Oh boy, do we do we want to get like, into, I kind of into like the, the comics? Sort of, yeah, uh, I was well, gonna say, do we do we want to get into speculation know. about the comics? Now, we can leave that for next that might, time. That might need to wait till next week. Um, no, we don't want to do that. Let's just say that Buffy goes in no and new I directions. In the I, that wasn't. Um, Okay. That was not me asking you to tell me what, but like, just that like, you know, I think yeah. that's a definitive decision sure. to not decide. 
like to have it so that like you know like leave that question ultimately unsettled of neither of them is quote the only right one for her well, and you know leaving that open for and you know so future argument and speculation and everything i wasn't necessarily going to bring her up here but this brings up charisma carpenter too because and the reason it brings that up is because of course like sure. we had this whole like love story with angel and uh cordy And I was going to say, there's criticism on both sides of this, because there are those who are like, no, but Angel, what about Cordy? <laughs> like, a season ago, and like, I mean, not even a season ago, like, all of this season, you're like, getting, you know, angry at Connor, you know, and his relationship with her, you know, it's not really her, but like, the relationship between, you know, Jasmine infested Cordy and Connor and all of this stuff. But then you also have the people who like hated the idea that Angel ever fell in love with Cordy to begin with, who are like, well, but what about that whole thing? And like, there was mm -hmm. like, why did we, that even have to happen then if like Buffy's the one and, you know, so maybe that's a point of criticism. Like, one way or the other, whichever you would happen to agree with. Um, and of course, that also brings up the fact that of the original cast, Charisma Carpenter is the only one who doesn't appear in this episode. Because they do at least get Angel there, right? So mm -hmm. David Boreanaz, like if we're talking like first season, like mm -hmm. main or or like recurring guest actors. Right, like the like main actors, yeah. Everyone's there except her. And I mean we talked about that with the Angel finale and stuff, so like I don't want to necessarily get into all of that again, but like it just is like just another little jab, maybe, to like that whole part of the story. Yeah. Yeah, and I think completely taken on its own for people who didn't watch Angel, I think it works well enough. And I don't think like, like, I don't think there's anything that's like a glaring, like, oh, Cordy should be here and she's not necessarily, but like taken in the context of Angel, those things definitely do jump out a lot more. Um, yeah. And they do kind of have Angel like conveniently, available for Buffy like you know not just like physically that he's here but like seeming like if she said so he would be like they'd be back all in together like he's ready to like resume the relationship right away which doesn't that's not consistent with like where things were at the end of Angel um so you know it's one of those things like do you strive for continuity with the other show or do you just do what serves this show in the best interest in the moment? And uh, they they made a choice. You can, you know, we can critique the choice that they made, but yeah, when you do, I hadn't really thought of that, but when you point out that she's the only one 
from the first season. Um, like, like really not even the first as like appears as her, right? Like you could have um, even like worked in like, I mean, she's in a coma, I guess, not dead, but like, I don't know. Like you could have figured something out, but yeah. Anyway. Right. Could have just left her as a darn higher power and let her intervene somehow, but nope. Um, okay. So yeah, I mean, Buffy kind of lets Angel just sort of leave things as they are. No, no promises one way or the other about the future and tells him to leave so that she has, you know, another backup front, you know, should she fail with her battle with the first, um, sort of leaves him to sort of be the second line of defense. Um, and that's it for him. And then there's some stuff with Spike, who of course is listening in on the whole conversation. Um, I'm trying to find my spike notes here. And, you know, I'm, I, I kind of was expecting this and I'm glad that him kind of listening with the first whispering in his ear was a little bit of a red herring. Um, Cause I feel like, you know, Spike really of anyone, like what we were talking about with like, Anya's sort of emotional climax came earlier. This is just the sort of enactment of her climax. I feel like Spike is maybe the one who like, his climax is still developing. Like even within this episode, you're not, in the beginning, you're not quite sure. Like, is he still gonna be jealous? Is he, what choices is he gonna make? Like you're still left a little bit ambivalent about where he stands and his morality and everything. Um, so it's kind of nice that like he does the noble thing of not, you know, giving Buffy a hard time about this. Like he kind of pretends to a little bit and pretends to have his sort of pride and everything, but mostly he just, you know, is being supportive. And he's there to fight with her and, like, is even just happy to have her stay in, you know, in his basement one more time and, like, you know, hold each other late at night and everything. Um, anyway, that's all to say. I'm glad that didn't become, like, a whole big, like, Spike versus Angel sort of jealousy plotline. Um... And he's rewarded with his sort of champion status, you know, like the the MacGuffin amethyst or, you know, amulet or whatever it is becomes this sort of symbol of his like character development. Like he's finally at the place where he's acting selflessly and not out of the interest of getting Buffy or wanting anything in particular other than to do the right thing by her. Um, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, 
I don't know if you have any response I, to I that. I don't. I don't know that I have any other thoughts about right. him. Sorry. Um, just saying, like the amulet as like kind of a symbol or a you know talisman of his sort of final mm. character development. Um, like you know, in in finally, like when we kind of establish that he is going to do the noble thing and be as selfless as he's been trying to be. Like he gets this sort of medal almost sure. of his championhood, you know, like she kind of puts him up on, on that same pedestal as angel, like, you know, someone who's not just like important to her personally, but is like mm -hmm. fighting the good fight for its own sake and, you know, yeah. doing the right thing and everything. Yeah, no, I don't, I think, I think that's all, I, I think I agree with all of that, um, yeah. I did have, I did have one question that just reminded me, there's one or two scenes in the basement where, I feel like there's two separate moments where it's, you know, Buffy and Spike are together, and the scene kind of cuts away. Like, it's like an unusual kind of like, you know, if like they're together and nothing's happening mm. and then it just sort of fades out. Um, do you think the implication is that they're getting it on? Like, is there like some sort of consummation within the timeline of this episode? I mean, we get the scene of like the holding and everything, which is you know, seems to be kind of straightforward. But then there's like another part where, I don't know, the way it's shot sort of implies that like, I feel like they're leaving the door open to say, maybe there is still some, you know, active sort of romance happening between the two of them. I don't know. In the absence of text, I mean, I suppose you could read whatever subtext you want. Um, I don't know that I don't know that I necessarily thought of that, but like that could be headcanon, sure. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure I mean, whether anybody else had ever Well now that I'm not afraid of spoilers, I can go hunting and see if anybody yeah, else I, has I ever, mean, uh, this it would surprise me if nobody had thought of that um but like i don't i don't think i've seen anyone sort of suggest sure. that before um but i don't like mm -hmm. i don't know I, I get i don't get the sense like i feel like there's enough of like on screen like suggestion or not even suggestion like statement of like when people get it on that I feel like they probably wouldn't leave it to guesswork if we were meant to think that they were. So I guess like just sort of thinking it through now, like I would tend to think no. Mm -hmm. Um but I don't like mm -hmm. I'm not like a hundred percent convinced of that. Like I, I could be persuaded maybe of a different opinion, um, if there's evidence for mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, and I don't think there's, it was just, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to even go back and kind of rewatch to see certain certain ways that those basement scenes were edited um, felt like there was an implication, but maybe it's just, uh, you know. Sure. You know, I don't know. An unintentional mm-hmm. implication. And yeah, I mean, the only reason I could see them leaving it ambiguous is, again, because they don't want to definitively say one way or the other, like, where Buffy leans in terms of her ultimate, you know, decisions or affections or whatever. But, um, but anyway. Okay. Moving on to, let's talk through Buffy's plan. So without getting back into Caleb. <laughs> Caleb in the first, or the first as Caleb come to visit her and, you know, taunt her uh, with, you know, the, the that theme we've been tracing since the very beginning of her aloneness. You know, the fact that into every generation a slayer is born one girl in all the world, she alone will have the strength and skill to, oh, there's that word again, what you are, how you'll die alone. Um, And it's the seeds of its own destruction, right? Because it gives her the idea, Um, which like all great villains, like it ultimately screws itself over. Um, (laughs) Like, if it hadn't felt the need to taunt her about that, you know, most, you know, her worst insecurity, um, you know, things might have turned out differently. But it gives Mm. her this brilliant idea. Um, So not to be coy about it, I think we should just talk about what is that idea and what's her plan and how does she sort of go about doing that and communicating that to the others. Um, So this idea that like, she's been the slayer with friends and family, which has set her apart from pretty much every other slayer ever. Um, But it's, you know, an expansion of that to a family of slayers, you know, or like, what if she's not the only one? Why is it, you know, why is she just taking it as written that there only has to be one per generation? Um, And if she's stronger with friends and family, then how much stronger would they be if there were more of them? And it wouldn't have to all just be on her. Well, Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the idea is spread the wealth and everyone who could be a slayer is a slayer. There's no potential period of sort of unfulfilled potential and gestation. It's just, if you're born with this power, you have it from the start and you're able to exercise it from birth, basically. And so, I mean, it's a couple of things. Because, like, obviously, like, she's not the only one right now because there's Faith. And there was Kendra before her. But like, yes. Mm-hmm. The implication, the statement 
I think Giles says at one point, or someone says at one point, that like probably Giles, um, you know, there's no like this has never happened before where you have like a Slayer die, and then is revived and like another Slayer exists, um, and like like we've talked about that. That's like why does that happen? Well, it's because she has friends right it's xander who revives her right and that and like we get that comment from him of like well i'll bring you back that's what i do right like referring back to that first season where Mm -hmm. he literally brings her back to life and then you know later it's more willow than xander but he participates um and so it right but that's the thing like there's there's twice now where like we get her dying and being brought back to life, you know, through friends and, and countless times where having friends prevents her from being killed, you know, altogether. So, so that's definitely true. So I feel Mm -hmm. like, like, like it's not just like, there's been no, it seems that there's never been a sort of concerted effort to bring slayers or even potentials. Cause like, we know that the watchers have a network where they've got like, not every potential in the world, but like the ones that they've identified are like being watched and trained. And you know, they're like Kendra was, and faith had her own watcher. And, um, you know, we learned that some of these other potentials that start showing up were with watchers, um, who were killed or, you know, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because it's like like wouldn't you think that like instead of like sending like people out into the world like in ones and twos and like not knowing about each other and keeping things secret like at least the girls themselves like not knowing what's going on like that that's problematic right what happens when they all come to Buffy's house like sure they're scared initially and whatever but they start training together they start fighting together they start being like stronger together than they ever were out with even with their watchers you know who are all dead now Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you know but like even that level of like coordination cooperation had never so like I feel like like yes it's it's the first who sort of plants that idea in her but it's also like the situation of like like there's just something different about Buffy and the way that she approaches you know slayerness and like the fact that she has these families and friends who are like helping her and like isn't you know like she she's sort of wrested control from the whole Watcher's Council like like initially by like rejecting them right and then like now you know by the last episode here like she's literally like gone into like and talked with like the shadow men and like rejected them and like um all the watchers except giles are basically dead Mm -hmm. at this well and wesley um who are both like excommunicated i don't know what yeah, like what, whatever, whatever the appropriate term, like apostate yeah. watchers. Um, you know, like, right. like all the watchers are dead. So, like, 
like whatever the watcher council and like network might have been at one point like like buffy controls all that now too and like that's never happened before of of having like not just like mm-hmm. a slayer who has family and friends which is where she starts out with but still had a watcher and still had someone telling her what to do and kind of leading to the extent that he could you know her development and you know mm-hmm. whatever like now it's actually a slayer in charge and when the slayer's in charge it's like well duh why doesn't it make more sense that like we get everyone and bring them here and oh by the way if i can give them all the same level of power that i have like we could totally kick ass like and not that she comes up with that right away like obviously like things have to happen to get her there but like i said like while i do agree that like it's the the first who implants that particular idea it's also like the cumulative you know steps of like everything that's kind of been happening Mm -hmm. all along you know to where she now has this group of people that she can rely on and some of whom she can you know give the same power that she had um and i also like like i also think it's interesting Mm -hmm. that it's not like there's no sense of her diminishing her power in order to do this right like like there's definitely because i feel like there could be stories where that's the case where it's like i could either like be the super yeah Mm -hmm. like i could be the super powerful or i could like disperse the power i have which means i would lose power but everyone would have like more power than they currently have and yeah it becomes like the sacrificial but it's not it's i've got this great power and i'm gonna like so instead of like well and i think the implication here with the whole watchers council is like instead of like sort of selfishly hoarding it and controlling it and doing that i'm gonna like give it to everyone who can receive it and and not everyone can receive it like not even all women can receive it right but like anyone who's capable of receiving it i'm gonna make it available to them and Right, like there's still that sense of being sure. magically chosen for one reason or another. It's just that it's no longer the one. It's you know the well, many. That's why of, I, you know everybody. I think like the idea of the potential is does. is interesting too because it's like it's literally fulfilling your potential. Like until you have the power, it is just potential, right? But like once you and and of course, I mean this is the episode, right? Chosen, like. Mm-hmm it's not just one chosen person. It's like everyone is chosen to do something. And so who are the chosen? Well, we're all chosen. It's just, we might not all be chosen for the same purpose or the same reason. And, and that's where I think. Right. Well, and she, no, I, I was just gonna say, that's where I think kind of Sorry, kind finish. Of ties into like the theme of the episode or whatever, but go, go ahead. Yeah. Well, just that she kind of frames it as a choice as well. Like the implication from like her saying to the potentials in the room, you have a choice to make implies Mm -hmm. that I guess they could refuse if they want to. Like they don't get into that, but that's what she seems to be saying is you have a choice because I can give you this thing, but part of it is 
choosing to accept that power and not, you know, deny it and push it away. Um, Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I feel like that goes with the kind of feminist or social justice angle of the, of this story too, of the fact that power isn't diminished by the sharing of it. Like that, like power, the notion of power is like a zero sum game, like is wrong that like, you know, me having equal rights or equal, you know, access to things or, or power in situations doesn't mean that you have less of it. It just means that we're being brought to the same level as each other. Um, and like, I feel like that's, that's a good point that rather than have it that Buffy has to sacrifice her gifts, um, it's just that like, they don't, they don't do that. They have it that she can share and retain the the powers and the privileges that she already has. Um, yeah. And I mean, I guess the other thing too, is the kind of revelation that these rules and laws are not like right. immutable laws of nature. Like, you know, she says like in every generation, a slayer is born because a bunch of men who died thousands of years ago made up that rule. So we have to distinguish between different kinds of rules, different kinds of laws. Like, I think the assumption from early on was like, these are laws of physics. This is the way it is. And you can't fight, you know, gravity and, you know, the laws of nature. But I think over the course of, you know, the seasons, you've realized how much, power the watchers council exerted to keep things at a certain status quo and to arrange things in a way that they liked for whatever reason and that was comfortable and convenient for them and sort of realizing at the end well some of these rules are only Mm -hmm. true because we've accepted them and the people in charge sort of benefited for whatever reason by having things a certain way. And Buffy kind of realizing that if she does have control of the reins, she's allowed to make a different choice. And, you know, there's no, there's no physical reason why she can't do this. Um, And it's just a matter of wanting to share the wealth and her not being jealous of it and wanting to be the only one, you know, like getting to the point where she's so ready to share like both the benefits and the burdens Mm -hmm. of this, like, you know, just the idea that it's not all on her at the end. Like there's nothing hoarding about it. Um, Um, Hopefully it's not gauche to quote a man in the context of sort of the feminist idea here, but like it, it reminds me of a quote from Thomas Jefferson where, um, he said, uh, he who receives an idea from me receives instructions without less, receives instruction himself without lessening mine, as he who lights his taper at mine receives light without darkening me. Um, and if we can, like, take out all the gendered mm-hmm. terms of that, you know, uh, phrase, like, I think that's the same sort of idea. Like, it's not, like, it, it's like sharing candles, right? Like, you can light someone else's candle without, you know, being 
your without your own candle itself going out, it's like, well, now you just have twice as much light, and it's that whole same idea. Um, and I'm sure, right. I'm sure I heard that in a sermon or two growing up too. Like I'm sure they were like similar things there. But sure, like, yeah. Not that Joss Whedon is one to make sermons, but um, yeah, yeah. There. No, but I feel like I see that a lot in the reaction to sort of in the in the more reactionary wings of these sorts of conversations about rights and privileges or whatever. And this fearful notion that, you know, the you know, raising up other mm-hmm. people is inherently bringing sure. others lower. Um you know, and I feel like that's that's often a reaction is, you know, that yeah. by you oh, yeah. getting this, I'm going to lose the things that I have. And and in order for you to have more, you must take from me. And um, yeah, I kind of like that that's not the way it works here, that she's able to share and have inexhaustible and, and yeah, and I know, do reservoirs think, to share. I mean, I think you're others. right. Like, I mean, there's, uh, you know, beyond feminism, like there's there's a lot of like, sort of social issues where that comes into play i mean thinking of like um like like gay rights or something where it's like you know just by allowing like two people of the same sex to get married like that doesn't cheapen you know whatever relationship you have or have a preference for or whatever and um Mm -hmm. you know the whole immigration debate is like about like immigrants stealing our jobs and doing this and that when like all of the data points to the fact that actually more immigration tends to improve the economy and like make more jobs available and that kind of thing so it's it's i think definitely very applicable to a lot of other situations and and yeah i think um the, the other thing i was thinking um as you were talking is it it kind of threw me back to um the episode family um, with Tara and her family and like um, Buffy saying like why is this it's because it's a bunch of rules that men made and just sort of like you get the contrast between Tara and and her cousin played by Amy Adams um, who uh, you know one is very much sort mm-hmm. of you know Tara being the one to sort of like reject that like no this isn't sort of the natural order of things even though that's the way I've always been raised and the other one saying like you know you can't you can't break this like you you have to like follow the men and you know we we women have our place and it's like i'm also like in the middle of watching season two of handmaid's tale so like i'm thinking i'm i'll have to like limit like the number of analogies i make Mm. because like i feel like i could just keep going off into um you know some of those (laughs) things too but like yeah, just that that yeah. idea of like so much of how we operate is based on how we're raised and I think like even again like not putting it in terms of feminism or whatever just like the things that we limit ourselves to are very often not like hard limits of nature but like psychological limits based on like what our parents told us or what you know we learned in church or school or, you know, on the hard streets of, you know, upstate New York that I lived in most of my life. Um, 
you know, and, and that kind of thing, like where it's, it's not like, it does take something, whether it's a special event or just some sudden realization or whatever to like, kind of kick us out of that and say, wait a minute, it doesn't, I don't have to do this. I don't have to be this way. Like there's, and, and thinking about it, I don't want to be this way. Like there, mm-hmm. there's a better way to go about doing all of this. And so it's not always easy to come up on your own. And I'm, I'm just sort of thinking of this as I'm talking and I'll shut up in a minute and let you talk again. But like, also like that's where having like family and friends who you can talk to and bounce ideas off of. And it's not just, a watcher who's telling you what to do and and reinforcing that age old you know patriarchal hierarchy it actually is like you know that idea of like you know all of us together is stronger than any one of us alone and like that's true like maybe physically and in fighting and stuff but it's mm-hmm. also true like idea wise like you're going to come up with better ideas when you're all having input and talking through and, you know, saying, you know, like improving on the other ideas that are getting thrown out and that kind of thing. Like that's just how those sorts of things work. So I think that's. Yeah. And that it, and that it evolves over time. Like it literally takes her the entire series. Like you said, it's, this isn't just one bolt of lightning this is accumulation of you know seven seasons of of struggle and learning to get to the idea before it even considers the fact that maybe it doesn't have to be that way like you know all of this accumulation leading up to just the notion that things could be different um you know that's how hard it is to see around your own assumptions and, you know, blind spots based on just the way things are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I feel like, I don't remember exactly what I said, but kind of in whatever very general predictions I made, I feel like this fulfills that kind of thing I was hoping for, where it's not just about um, who has the magical MacGuffin or who fights the hardest that those aren't what win the battle but it's some sort of shift in thinking or something about who Buffy is and this absolutely like checks that box that like okay this is what we've been driving towards is her realization of how she can change things yeah I mean to do that when you were saying that I was definitely like biting my tongue because I remember you saying that and like in the was it the last episode or whatever of like um yeah yeah the last one or two right yeah thinking of and, what do and i just, predict uh, um like so like the sky that the side is important but it's not no. the most important thing it doesn't come right. down to and, right and it's all about the how weapon, it's used and like know? yeah um and so so we definitely so the montage too um definitely need to bring up like this is where way back when we talked about that episode with the silence and neil armstrong and like 
you know, everyone having that moment of, mm-hmm. like, feeling empowered and, like, acting on it. And, I mean, obviously, like, very different situations and, like, who right. is, like, whatever. But, like, you know, I, I don't know if we can equate, like, the Secret Service guy with the gun, you know, to uh, a girl playing softball. But, like, you know, like, they're, like, very similar, I think, kind of ideas going on there of, like, you know sort of distributing that power and also like i like that because it's not just like kind of building on the idea of like it's not just like like buffy is not hoarding it and she's not losing power but she's also not like just giving it to her friends or like immediate allies like it's like literally any girl Mm -hmm. in the world who's a potential, whether we know about her or not, like, and it seems like there's probably a lot more of them than we realized, you know, like even, even to begin with. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just like that idea of like, like you're not just changing like the game, like here in Sunnydale against the first in this particular battle. It's like, you're suddenly changing the entire, like, trajectory of everyone everywhere um because probably somebody if if you're not one of these ones who is getting the power you know probably everyone knows someone who does you know get it and so right that we'll we'll you know we'll talk about the comics and how they explore some of that maybe uh later but um, I'll have to like reread like season eight before like mm-hmm. our next discussion. I'm like realizing this now, but uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, just to say that like there's definitely um, there's definitely like big implications there, and I always like I I personally always kind of get chills when I see that montage happen. Um, I mean, I don't know. I I I know you're not mm-hmm. one to like necessarily I cry before you do when it comes to like movies and stuff I like I'm fine admitting that and so (laughs) well no I don't I didn't like I almost I almost said like you don't feel like that way but I don't want to like I don't want to go like visiting your feelings like that's critfic I but like at least in the outward you know uh, yeah in the outward I'm not demonstrative maybe yeah uh, yeah uh, there's a little more on my part than maybe yours and that's fine but um all of that to say that like i i i do like there's sure. definitely like a sort of visceral reaction when uh when that happens um then i get to that point as right. as there are at other points in the series like anya's speech in the body um and uh and, and tara's sure. <sighs> tara coming in and saying can't we all just you know move past it or what what i i screwed up the quote there um anyway right this is another one of those moments all of that to say. yeah i know the one you mean um yeah no it is good and I, this didn't occur to me when watching it but i like too that it's kind of interesting that all the ones we see being activated around the world are like younger like so the ones you know, being called to Buffy and 
immediately targeted and fighting alongside her are, you know, slightly older, like teenagers or whatever. But then the ones we see around the world are like, you know, young women, like in high school or preteens or like little girls and stuff. And just this kind of, you know, the empowerment message of that, of like Buffy and her team are these kind of slightly older role models in a way. And meanwhile, younger girls are sort of just waking up to their, you know, the possibility of the power that they have. Um, that's just cool. It's a cool kind of imagery, you know, interesting way to do it. Um, you had a question, and maybe this is a good point to ask if you have anything to say about, and we don't have to get way into it, but does, do the more recent revelations of some of Joss's behavior um, and even the less recent stuff like what happened on the set of Angel and how he treated Charisma Carpenter and all that. Um, does any of that undercut the, the feminist message? Um, I don't know that it does for me. Like, I feel like it's one of those things where you can, you don't have to do this. It's a personal choice of to what extent do you separate the art from the artist, but for me, it's like, it, there's some, you know, less than great people out there who've made great things. And I don't know that it takes away from what they've done to kind of, you know, like what they've made in terms of their career or their art to acknowledge that their personal lives may have not been conducted always with, you know, always that well but like I don't feel like I don't feel like there's any hint of that in this episode um like I, I don't know others might disagree but like there's no kind of there's no sense when I'm watching this where I'm going oh you know now that I know what I know about Joss this I read this totally differently and you know, like, there's no kind of, I can't perceive any, like, problematic undertone that might have been there in the beginning. Yeah. I don't know I, if you agree with that or not. I don't think that it does either. So, like, I think I agree with you. I, so there were, in the Whedon studies, um, Facebook group, there was some discussion after um, some of the comments that Keichel made in her article where she sort of revealed some of this stuff that was going on with Joss Whedon and um, his historical behavior and even maybe not so historical behavior, um, including things about like on the set of Buffy and all of that. I mean, Like, you can look at any artist and find problems in their personal lives. Um, any person, honestly, probably. And that's not to say that I don't mean that to, like, excuse those things. Um, 
because they're problematic and certainly they're, you know, not things we should condone. Um, even just thinking like literally just in the last day, like Roseanne Barr had her show canceled because of racist tweets, you know, and like, that's probably correct. Like, I mean, it, it, well, I mean, not probably like, you know, good for the people at ABC to, you know, stand on their principles and not give her a platform, even if like, she's going to say like, whatever, but like, Mm -hmm. something that's discovered, you know, 10, 15 years after something's made, it's hard to like, especially, especially when something like, does that change how we look at the show? I mean, I can see how like, like there's definitely a type of criticism, like textual criticism that looks at like what's going on in the author's life and what they're thinking about Mm -hmm. and writing about like in their personal diaries or letters or whatever. And like, things that are going on behind the scenes and why it might influence. But like thinking of like one of my own favorite writers, um, Robert Heinlein, you know, one of his most well-known stories, Starship Troopers was written shortly after he and his wife, like had this failed uh, letter writing campaign in support of like nuclear weapons testing, which let's face it is not like, in today's world, like, where we very much would like to, like, see fewer nuclear weapons and, like, all of that, like, that's not necessarily the most, uh, you know, highlight point of maybe his personal life, where, like, he's like, y- yeah. That's and, not his and, greatest I mean, contribution I'm glad to that the it world. Failed. And, like, but, like, you know. Like, he does that, but then he, and he goes on to write, like, Starship Troopers. And a lot of people kind of look at that and be like, well, he's, like, this is, like, his fascist, you know, like, military-driven, which, I mean, I have, I have things to say about all of those claims that are made, but those are common claims. And that, like, the one thing leads into the other, and, like, it's very, and I just, like, like, that's an example of something where I have to say, like, Yes, those things happened and they happened near to each other in time, but like I don't think we need to look at like the one through the lens of the other. Whatever that is. And I would kind of put this in the same boat. Like it's clear if we believe Kai Cole, and I think we should and can, um, that like and, and I mean and like Whedon hasn't denied anything and in fact has sort of if not exactly confirmed, at least like not explicitly denied any of the claims she made. So, like, I think we can, you know, believe that, like, he treated some actresses improperly who were on this, you know, young young actresses, younger than him, and, you know, over whom he had power, maybe not totally appropriately on set. What does that mean? I I don't know in particular. Obviously, like, those, that level of detail hasn't come out. But, like, does that mean, like, you say, ah, mm-hmm. screw it, like, Buffy's, you know, written by a smarmy misogynist, and, like, any good message that it might have is bunk, and, you know, whatever. Like, no, of course not. Like, I don't, 
I don't think that at all. Like, and I even feel it, like there were even articles I I saw that came out after um, Kai Cole's piece, sort of coming to that conclusion of like, you know, Joss Whedon may have done all these bad things, but he can't take Buffy away from us. Like, it's there. It's out there. The messages it tells us is out there. And it's... Right. Right. For for better, I would hope, like, it's influencing people and the way people think and act and, like, maybe, maybe directly, certainly indirectly, has led to many other shows of I know I know you hate the term like strong female characters but like it's paved the way for those for the shows that people sort of group into that mm-hmm. grouping and so like maybe those yeah. shows can do even better now you know because of Buffy and you know maybe it's women running right. some of those shows and writing for those shows. And I, I mean, women also wrote for Buffy and stuff too, and ran Buffy, um, Marty Noxon. And, and so like, you know, maybe it, maybe it will, what, what's the, what's the, um, what's the Tolkien reference? Maybe it, maybe it will yet be good to have been or whatever. Like, like maybe like, like despite, whatever right right problematic personal issues Joss Whedon might have uh you know in the production of this thing that doesn't make the thing itself bad and and like like even more than just being not bad like I think there are a lot of really good messages that you can take away now there are also like a lot of people criticize certain aspects of it like a lot of people see Xander as misogynist and like Xander is sort of an admittedly Whedon-esque character. And so, you know, maybe there's still like mm-hmm. analysis of like more specific pieces of it that you can look at and say, okay, this might be problematic. This might not be. And like that kind of thing. But like, I think on the whole, like, I don't think, I don't think the knowledge you know, the public knowledge of, like, things that he did while on set, you know, that were inappropriate or whatever have necessarily an impact on the literary study of the series. Um, mm-hmm. And and again, like, I think if, if it does, then we have to reassess how we look at right. literally everything because, you know, that's the way it Yes. Yeah. Yeah, right. The yeah. I mean, then you're getting into going back into previous time periods where you know, racism was more prevalent than today and so you're censoring, you know, all these prominent authors in the context of their own not taking them in the context of their own time or all that sort of thing. I mean, like, to me, the, like, evergreen example is always Woody Allen when it comes to the, this, and and wrestling with the question of, do I actively seek out his work or not? And going back and forth about it and feeling like nobody I know 
really likes him personally or condones what he's done. And yet some people can compartmentalize and separate him from his creation and watch his movies just fine. And then other people have a personal problem with that and choose to not like just say, I don't need that in my life. And I kind of feel like I can't fault either decision there. Like that, that's a matter of personal integrity. Like which of the things do you feel, you know, comfortable with, but you know, and I mean, so you brought up the Roseanne example. The other thing, you know, is, um, Mm -hmm. our friend Thomas Johnson, um, retweeting, uh, I think Emily Nussbaum saying like, we can applaud the cancellation of her show in the sense of it's the, you know, ABC or whoever drawing a line in the sand and saying, you know, like we can, we can criticize whether they knew what they were getting into in the first place, but at least they're saying beyond this point, no further. Like there are certain things that we don't tolerate as a company and you don't get to have shows on our network if you're going to behave like this. Um, But then apparently I don't know if they have done it or they're going to do it, but Hulu is pulling all of the old Roseanne, like the nine seasons that was on in the nineties. Which Joss Whedon wrote And, you know, Emily Nussbaum. (laughs) There you go. Um, More of his work is called into question then. Um, Emily Nussbaum pointing out like, why do we have to get kind of consign that to the trash heap of history? You know, we can't pretend that it didn't happen, which is what kind of feels like, I think it's one thing to, to cancel a series, which is running right now. And it's another to kind of pretend that there was never an original series to begin with, you know, or to blame you know, the Roseanne of the 90s and the writers and the actors who were on the show 20 years ago for the things that she's saying here and now. Like, that feels like a bit of a denial of how things work. Like, you know, it doesn't just undo the mistakes she's made by saying we don't, the public no longer has access to this thing. Um, And it feels more like censorship than anything else you know or like I don't know maybe not censorship I don't know what um I don't know I feel like there's a difference between those reactions you know and like I think we can let Buffy in the ways that it's dated or of its time or like in the negative sense or you know uh, or like where things it does and says make us uncomfortable. I think we can treat it as the historical kind of artifact that it is, but then that doesn't mean that everything it has to say is no longer relevant, you know, or that there aren't good aspects of what it did. Um, and there is that cognitive dissonance of like, there's so many authors that I think there's a disjunct between what they seem to say in their personal life and what they seem to say in their fiction, you know? And that's not unique to Joss Whedon that like, you know, I like, I don't think people always really know what they think and believe 
And, you know, sometimes the truth comes out in angry Twitter rants, and sometimes the truth comes out in the TV show that they wrote. And there's sometimes the two don't add up, match up to each other. Um, You know, like, I don't, is Joss a feminist? I don't know how to answer that. I'm not in his head. And if we're gonna, if we're gonna resist Critfic, then we have to resist the impulse that what he says and does is the sole decider of his show. Like, I think what you're saying of, that person pointing out that at a certain point it doesn't belong to him anymore and kind of what he says and thinks about it kind of doesn't matter or only matters insofar as you're curious what he says and thinks but it doesn't tell you what it means um so even if he was a hypocrite that doesn't mean that everything he wrote was wrong you know, or hypocritical in itself. Like the text is the text and, you know, he might've not lived up to his own values, but that doesn't mean that he didn't write values into his storytelling. So, but there's nothing in this episode that makes me think twice or do a double take or say like, oh, here's this undercurrent that like, they might not have noticed in 2003, but today, like, is very troubling or something. Um, Like with some of the Xander stuff, that where it feels like you would pick up on things now that they wouldn't have Mm -hmm. when they first wrote it. Um, You know, I don't know that there's anything in this episode that's quite like that. Except for... And you brought this up earlier. Well, and we might as well talk about it. Spike's amulet and the fact that is it that Spike kind of saves the day in the end? Well, (laughs) like, you know, is there an unintentional implication that really like, like, yes, female empowerment, but the, the, this final battle is decided by, the heroic action yeah. of one of the male characters, you know, um, which I didn't think of I, that while and I was honestly, watching. Honestly, I it. didn't think of um, it until. But I could see that argument. I fe- I could right. see how that argument could be made. I didn't even think of it till we were kind of talking before we started recording about what you know what we were going to talk about. So. I mean, I think that I, I I don't know that I've thought about it enough to make like a definitive statement or anything, but like I think the magnanimous and like preservationist like interpretation would be like the that the um that that spike is following buffy and doing you know sort of what like it's not just like spike going off by himself and saving the day because he's like a cowboy character like doing his own thing he's actually he's part of the army 
he's part mm-hmm. of you know he he's listening to buffy as the general and like yes it's his task and like there's this like amulet that's meant for him but right. he's so, doing what he's told yeah i don't want to be spoilery but we'll see the amulet again mm-hmm. like this isn't the last time maybe that like that comes into play and so i think there's and when i say that i mean like an angel like so because like obviously there's no more buffy so like (laughs) just to be clear like what i'm talking about like i don't mean like in the comics or whatever and so well and i think just so you don't have to be too delicate i think you said already that we'll see like again in angel when people so you can when when people die like they're not always right like so um yeah so all that to say that like i feel like like if if we want to if we want to do like external analysis too we we should look at this as a device that like is is more about bridging the shows than spike saving the day per se yes they use it to like have spike like kill mm-hmm. all the turrican and let like buffy escape you know buffy and the others escape and you know like create the sunnydale sinkhole but like there's also an aspect of it where like it's also just a convenient way of like getting him onto the other show <laughs> so like and that happens like in the first episode so like i'm not even like right. be, being that spoilery here so like of see of, of angel season five I mean. right, um right so like <clears throat> right i that that's sort of like the generous reading i guess we can i'm sure there are others who can give it a less generous one and mm-hmm. we can maybe look at those and you know, see what we think about them if we want to, but I I think there's a way to say, like, no, the fact that, like, Spike is there and, like, does most of the actual... Because, like, Spike doesn't even know what the thing is going to do. That's the thing, is that moment where it sort of activates and he does the, like, oh, bollocks, here we go, kind of reaction of... It's not like, like you said, that he's trying to be the hero or choose anything for her Buffy or do anything like that. It's like he's given a thing that then acts on its own and he's just sort of the conduit of it. And it's sort of accidental, Um, you know? So if he is the kind of final move of the battle, it's only sort of incidentally. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the only other thing before we move on to like going through the kind of characters within the battle and sort of working through that is um, Willow's, and maybe we can start to use this to transition into the battle, um, Willow's part in the plan and the fact that like, again, I do feel like we could have had more screen time for willow in terms of just 
minutes spent with her and and wait get into her scenes but you know you can't say that she's not an integral mm -hmm. part of the finale you know and like maybe the most integral part like that she can do what she does is the right. only reason any of this is even possible so it's certainly not the case that she's left without a vital role to play in the end um you know, and there's that great moment where Buffy says that, you know, those men were powerful, but she's more powerful than all of them combined. And you get that little, like, eek from Willow. Like, you know, the the disjunct between her power and her kind of still very Willow kind of somewhat shy mannerisms. Um like even into the end she doesn't fully grasp you know her own power and what she's capable of um or she does but she's not like proud of it necessarily um yeah and honestly that was the only the willow sort of transformation scene Let's talk about that for a minute because that was the only bit to me that felt mm. rushed. Like, you know, I I feel like again, if this was in the two episode version of this, she would have struggled with something like some, like you know, her fears of what her power means and what it does to her. Not that she would have gone dark or been tempted, but like, I feel like we could have maybe used a longer scene of showing, I don't know, more of the spell itself. Like the spell just seemed to be over relatively sure. quickly and easily. Um, and I could have used maybe a little bit more like build up to like, if this is really the most difficult thing she's ever done, okay, let's like act like it, you know? Um, but I mean, for the constraints of time, I totally understand why they didn't yeah. do that. So is it, is it implied that she is sort of a goddess herself after this? Like, it's not just the girls that are transformed, but she is changed by the spell that she does. Mm. You know, like maybe not a goddess exactly, but is Willow undergoing a transformation as well as the sure. slayers that she's activating? So, yeah, good question. I don't think... I don't think that we're meant to believe that she's a goddess in the way that, like, Cordy becomes a higher power. Or, well, the way that we... Or, yeah, the way that it's implied that or Cordy doesn't. becomes a higher power. Although, whether or not that actually happens, I guess, is, uh, you know, up for debate. I So, like, the oh goddess at the end, I think is just, like, a feminine version of oh god right like i don't think it's like like i don't think we're meant to see that mm -hmm. as like an important like transformative like of her character kind of thing um mm -hmm. that said 
so we you know we have we've seen like dark willow and vampire willow like this mm-hmm. version manifestation of willow is often referred to as goddess willow so you know but that's like a fandom thing like i don't think mm-hmm. that that's necessarily Im- implied by like the storyline right. um right take it as literally as you want but yeah i think if there is a transformative element it's that yeah like like now we see like the good side of um you know what was uh the dark willow before and so this is like hey i can go the other way on this spectrum as well so while she Mm -hmm. never like like she didn't reach like god level but certainly was like very 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 powerful (laughs) like i think that's kind of like this is like the parallel or, you know, opposite end mm-hmm. of that spectrum. So, I don't think we're meant to think that she yeah. is, like, glory or something like that, as far as, like, being a god, though. I, like, think it's she's still human, just a very powerful magic, you know, in, infused human witch. Mm-hmm. That's my interpretation. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Um, okay. So I kind of want to go through... We don't need to dissect all the action of the battle, you know, of like how it's shot, sure. how it's cut, who punches who, all that kind of thing. Um, I guess, and maybe some of them, there won't be a ton to say. Some of it is pretty straightforward, but I at least want to kind of check in with, like, you know, the role that each of them plays. Um, so we get that throwback scene of the core four of, you know, them standing in the hallway and the camera circling around them and the kind of snappy Buffy speak dialogue where they're all like talking all over each other and and about the right you know like going to the mall normal everyday things of what are we going to do tomorrow and going to the mall and um yeah um you know and some of it just being their natural kind of chatter and some of it being that kind of like let's focus on tomorrow to not focus on the dread of what might happen here today like you have to just pretend as if tomorrow is going to be like any other day to get you through you know what they have to do right now Mm -hmm. um yeah and then giles you know the the callback of the earth is definitely doomed um yeah, and I mean, that's a great scene. Again, like, in the two-hour version, could I have used more moments like that of 
the those three core Scoobies and Giles just uh being their old selves. Sure, you know, but I think that's a good yeah, a good kind of reminder of where they started back in the first season. Yeah. Um, okay. And, you know, typically, um, Joss trick with like the kind of extended one take camera shot, you know, of it circling right. around them and kind of falling down. The, right. As know, like each of them the sort of peel um, away. And yeah. those little. Yeah. Right. As they all kind of split off from each other and everything. Um, those little Joss touches are good. Um, well, so we kind of talked about Willow's spell. Anything else about the spell itself or like, I don't really no, have anything um, for Yeah, Kennedy no, I so mean, much. Kennedy's uh-huh. just a runner, right? Like, <laughs> she's just there to like kind of get the, I mean, to help Willow, but like, what does she really do? It's like moral support more than anything. Um, mm-hmm. On the topic of, excuse me, um, like Buffy's power not diminishing, like it also seems that like the scythe itself doesn't diminish in power. So like whatever mm-hmm. Right, it's still useful in the battle right, even right. after they and and like seems to power. still be like yeah. to have some kind of like independent power that like the slayer can tap you know, whatever slayer at that point, because they're all slayers, right? Like whichever one is holding it can still sort of like feel and and utilize somehow that power. Um, but otherwise, no, I don't, I don't have anything to say about Willow and Kennedy. Okay. Um, Xander and Dawn, who of course come back after the last episode and Dawn gives Buffy (laughs) a little kick and, uh, you know, and that's the end of the argument. Sure. Um, and yeah, and consistently Buffy positions Xander as Dawn's sort of guardian. Like she always has them sort of paired off to the side to keep them both safe, but also having Xander be the one to like watch over Dawn and be responsible for her. Um, you know. Which kind of goes back to, I feel like Dawn and Xander have had a long relationship mm-hmm. of trust between them. Um, so it it kind of makes sense that she has them sort of working a, yeah. a, a corridor together. Um, that's not right in the thick of the action, but right. she knows that they're well, and, and going looking back out to for that, each other. You know, um, Xander and Dawn moment of like, Xander recognizing like, having been for most of the series the sort of like steady friend who's never in the spotlight you know the 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 kind of like stagehand just out of range of the spotlight you know and Don kind of following in that same vein like they're not in the main they're not in the main battle they're 
they're just kind of right. off to the and side. They're, they're helping, but not like right. critical necessarily, or or like not not you know in the main part of the battle anyway. Mm-hmm. How, however, you want to say that. Mm-hmm. Right, and they're kind of kindred spirits in their like sense of sure. Right, they don't have any special powers. Um, like they're just there being... to like do what they can and support the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Kind of the same with uh, Giles and Robin. Like, you know fighting the good fight but again not in the very neither of them have supernatural powers so they're maybe a little closer to the action but they're not really in the main thick of it Um, I mean if we want to sort of look at it this way like I think there's also a bit different um, dynamic with them because like they're the male leaders or at least the traditional sort of male leaders right the principal and the you know watcher like Mm. but they're like it's not their time anymore like that that time has passed and like this is the time for buffy and the slayers and you know the newly activated slayers to like all kind of do the main stuff and they're just again like they're not it's not that they're unimportant but they're supporting it's not they're not the ones leading the charge whereas like yeah in other stories that would be the case right it would be like giles directing and like you know robin at the front with like a big sword like you know fighting the fight and all of that and it's Mm -hmm. i mean they're doing that it's just they're again they're sort of off in their own little like making sure the back door stays closed yeah kind of thing off to the side Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And that's true. I hadn't thought of the fact that they are paired together and that that makes a a good pairing of the characters who in the past would have been the leaders that Buffy looked to and the kind of older male patriarchal leaders, but who are no longer sort of the ones leading the charge um that makes sense um should we talk too about robin and faith and robin's i'm gonna kind of fold in the ending and his sort of <laughs> yeah near death sure. fake out um you know where they're sort of leaving the the, the potential door open for the right. two of them to spin off into you know, whatever they might want to go do yeah. in a comic or a show or whatever. Um, and and then, of course, he get, he says, you know, oh, give me... She's so cynical about men and, you know, their interests. And, you know, there's nothing that can surprise her now. Um, and so, of course, he, like, meanly pretends to die. And then, you know, just as, like, a you know, little jab at her expectations. Um, Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's fun. And I mean, well, maybe, 
Like, and it got me too. I thought, I and thought that's he a was, reasonable thought. I thought like, he, he had died, especially like because I assume next we're going to talk about Anya and Andrew. But um, like there is a sense, right? And there is that. No, I was just going to say there is oh, a sorry, sense finish, of like, and then I'll say. somebody has to die, and like maybe more than one person. And we kind we kind of skipped over Amanda, who is the only named potential, I believe, who dies. Um, mm-hmm. Unless I'm forgetting someone. Others get hurt, but I think she's the only... Other potentials die, but we don't know their names. And yeah, other named so. potentials get hurt, but I don't think any other named potentials die. Right. The uh, the cannon fodder, as Anya calls right. them. You know, the, the unnamed ones uh, so, are slaughtered by the dozen, so I but... Think, um, yeah, like I we think have Amanda, Amanda is the only one that we And then know. obviously Anya, which it, we'll talk about. I, I won't let us not talk about it. But, like, I also think that, like, like if yeah. you're expecting that all of, like, the Scoobies are going to live through it. Like, the main Scoobies. And, like, Spike dies. So he's, like, a main character who dies. Like, Robin's, like... Yeah, he's he's only been introduced mm-hmm. this season, but he's kind of a bigger deal in insofar as like I don't mean bigger like a bigger deal than like the potentials or whatever, but just like he's also he's like another unique character because he's like the son of a slayer and that just doesn't happen elsewhere. You know what I mean? So like Yeah. Right. And we got to know him a little bit. Right, we got right. to know him so a little bit. So all more of that too, to say which, that like Yeah. I feel like we've had a few deaths, but like his death would also be like another like 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 a last little weed and you bastard jab, you know. Um But yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's that moment there's that moment in the battle where like within thirty seconds or something, it seems like everybody's going down. Like like spikes in pain and Buffy gets stabbed and then you see Anya and then you see Robin and it's like oh my god like half the people now are you know and so some of them like obviously like Buffy's okay Robin's okay and Spike we know has you know a future as character Anya's the only one who really is gone but there's that potential there for a moment where it's like it feels like half the cast just got yes, although taken my out, mistake you know, in the space of a minute. Saying that Spike's gonna show up in Angel is I don't know that people knew knew that at the time. So like I'm sure there were a lot of people very upset about Spike. Sure. But, yeah. Um that this felt final. So I yeah. just wanna be yeah. clear, like yeah. like we shouldn't just like throw that away, even though we know like he does return. Um, you know, this is the end of May or whatever, right. and there's a whole summer before they're gonna like come back and see. Oh, Spike returns. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Well, but even before we get to the end of the episode and see that Robin's okay or whatever, it's like it's just that short mm-hmm. little burst where it's like yeah. one right after the other. You know, like you know, like from one. Bam, 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 bam. Like you're just seeing, like it. It feels in it for a moment like Whedon's gonna just off half of them. Um, so he, he, without killing half of them, you kind of get the benefit of it, mm-hmm. you know, just from the way it's sort of edited together. Um, 
like there's the surprisingness of it even if he doesn't necessarily follow through right. on all of the deaths exactly um but yeah and i didn't i thought he was gone like i expected when he sort of goes cold in the bus i thought like well you know another mm. another one down fighting the good fight um and of course he's fine um so mm. all right let's talk about andrew and anya um and andrew's like suggestion that um what does he say to think of like yeah yeah think of comforting things or i can't remember the line i didn't write it down like think of things that'll make her happy and you know comfortable and of course like he lists you know mentions the bunnies um which surprises me because she's she's terrified but that doesn't increase her fear it like spurs her to this kind of like you know confident sort of fury like she's ready to take out some Mm -hmm. uber vamps now because he brought up bunnies um whereas at for a second i thought that was gonna make her like completely quake in fear um but anyway just kind of a funny last moment of her strange little phobia um yeah and in hindsight the setup is very obvious Mm that like didn't catch it at the time but all of the references to her kind of assumption that she kind of just assumes she'll be fine um like I don't think it ever really like even referring to the others as you know the cannon fodder and like I wouldn't call them to their faces what am I insensitive um and the idea of like we'll defend it with Andrew's life you know like and we'll kind of joking about using him as the shield and everything like all of this being obviously deflecting you from what's coming um but being a kind of like foreshadowing of we're putting all the energy into andrew's danger and you're not really being invited to think about right what if anya goes down yeah and it's a pretty like gruesome like the way that Mm -hmm. it kind of like slashes through her um the sword and everything is like oh that's among the grosser things that they've done in this show yeah um um gruesome and quick like yeah yeah right and when we were talking earlier about how she kind of gets her goodbye in the previous episode with the hospital scene. I feel like that lets you get away with what they do here, which is make her death like really kind of brutal and random and kind of senseless. Like she doesn't get the big spike hero death where she gets to like say a speech and have a moment. It's like, nope, she's like offed in a matter of seconds and then 
you know, Xander can't even find her afterwards. Um, you know, and like, so you get the kind of like, I guess in any sort of final battle scene, you want to have some of your casualties have like senseless deaths, you know, that aren't like a culmination of anything. It's just sort of random and accidental. And it's not that she did anything wrong. Yeah. It's just that like, that's what happens. Um, yeah, very much so. Um, so there's a lot of people who are very upset about Anya's death for various reasons. Uh -huh. Obviously, like, there's the I like the character and I don't want her to die reactions, which is one of mine, of course. You know, I mean, I'm yeah. a yes on your fan fair so enough that's as it may be um outside of that though there are others who see it as problematic um some do act so going back to like does you know whedon's actions change how we interpret things some people do think that anya's death is an example not the only one of misogynistic deaths of you know women in uh, the Buffy verse, not even just Buffy, but Angel as well. Um, and they would include like Cordy in that as well. And, um, you know, other things. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want to look at that because I feel like that's like a more holistic discussion that we would have to have. Um, but there are like just acknowledging that there are those who sort of um, attribute sure. it to that. Um Others have more of a problem, more than the than a problem with her death, um, in the reactions to it, um, like the fact that they don't find her body. Like, you know, Xander doesn't spend like a ton of time exactly like looking around for her or anything. It's like, where's Anya? Oh, don't see her. Let's run. Mm -hmm. I feel I I feel like that's. Okay, I mean, well, and that's what I sort that's of kind of my reaction. Like, underneath I his feel feet, like that's justifiable, okay. like, given that everything is like literally falling down around you. But, like, I'm noting that as a complaint that people make. Mm -hmm. Um, more so mm -hmm. when the bus stops, you know, the sinkhole is there, and like, there's the little exchange between Andrew and Xander. And, like, Xander kind of makes a joke out of it. You know, like, oh, that's my girl always doing mm -hmm. stupid things. Something like that. In reference to Andrew saying, like, that she saved his life. So, right. like, again, it's like, do you know Xander? Like, have you been watching this show the last seven seasons? Like, of course he's going to say something along those right. lines. And that, like, I also, like, like, even in character, but, like, also just in life, like, people making a joke in, like, a dark situation isn't, like, doesn't mean that they don't feel for the person. So, again, like, mm -hmm. I'm acknowledging this as a complaint that people have, not necessarily one that I share. Um, but that, like, it feels too flippant. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it's not that he... Sure. 
It's not that he's just finding out, though. Like, the way he kind of asks Andrew is like, did you see what happened? Like, well, certainly he knows now, she's dead. by the time... Um, right. You know, right. in the collapse, if not in the battle. And so it's more like, it's not asking where's Anya anymore. And then, oh, we make a joke when we find out that she died. It's like, he knows that she that she's gone and, and he's just asking for mm-hmm. like the details of what happened. Um, so I, I mean, it's, yeah, I didn't take it as insensitive or anything. So, um, you know, I mean, and I, I think like the joke, it's not like a ha ha. No, it's, I don't think he's, and it's, he's not calling her stupid. Like it's not at her expense. It's stupid right. is code for human. Like at the end of the day, she embraced these silly little humans that she never really f- felt like she understood. But it's that speech she gave in the hospital of, yeah, they're stupid and silly and they don't really understand about their own mortality and they kind of fight even though they know they're gonna get killed so i guess i gotta do the same thing you know like i feel like when he says that it's more of a yeah acknowledgement of her humanity in the end that well, she kind of and, went down in the most human it's, way uh, um also going back to the body where she calls death stupid and mortal and you know she doesn't understand why joyce can't just get back in her body and right you know be living again and so, like, I think, I think there are a number of times where, like, like death just as a thing is called stupid. And so, tying that, and and not just a number, not not like a number of times where characters, but like specifically Anya has called it that. Like, I think whether whether we didn't even intended that or not, I think we can tie it back to both of those instances and possibly others of Anya. Yeah acknowledging the stupidity of death just as a thing as a state of being and um Mm -hmm. you know i i think we can make it not like i think we can interpret in a way that's not just xander's cracking a joke like there's actually some poignancy to what he says right um so I also wanted to mention, so actually I was thinking about this, like I should have probably mentioned like, hey, there's a commentary on this episode, which you might have figured out anyway, seeing as it's the finale. Um, but like, like also probably now. like yeah. it is the finale. So like what's going to be spoiled unless like at least the first time, maybe through just watch the episode. But like once you watch that episode, like there's no more episodes to be spoiled. So like unless they might spoil something on Angel, which I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't remember there being in there, but I would have to go back. Um, but probably should have mentioned that you could probably watch that one. Anyway, all that to say, in the commentary, uh, Whedon says that um, he does he kills Anya because you know someone has to die. Like you can't just have like this fight against the first evil and like and like someone outside of like nameless or even like one named. Uh, you know, Slayer slash potential mm-hmm. that we only really just met. Like, I, I mean, we've known Amanda a little while, but not like very long. Like, mm-hmm. 
Anya and and like mm-hmm. obviously Spike died, but like he's a little different situation. And like again, like you know, he's coming back at some point. Like there needed to be like a real true like mortal death, and so in thinking through who that mm-hmm. would be, um, he decided on Anya, and um, apparently, I mean, not just because of that, but also because um, apparently Emma Caulfield said, like, she was okay, like, being done with the character. That, like, she had played the character for five years and felt like it would be a fitting sort of end. Um, and uh, in... Uh, oh, I lost I lost my window here. Um, in um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer magazine, number 93... Apparently, she stated, you know, that she was okay with kind of the way the character died abruptly. Um, she didn't get a big maudlin send-off. It was very quick and to the point. Very Anya in that respect, Emma Caulfield said. Um, now, yeah, well, that's true. years later, Emma Caulfield kind of revisited some of her statements and kind of backtracked a little, saying that she would have liked to have seen more. Um, you know, to the to the extent in which we care about what an actor says in that regard, like, you know, I, you know, you, mm-hmm. I guess you can pick and choose which you prefer is like the sentiment that you think we should go with. But like, I feel like right. the original sentiment is probably more accurate from a character perspective of like, it is, it's very quick and to the point. Anya was always very much like, just going to say things as they are and not like, mince words and so to have her character be just sort of like surreptitiously killed and like off to the side and like there's not really like a fuss about it like does seem like more in line with some of that and mm-hmm. and like thinking of it from an auteur perspective of like well who else are, is gonna die like we've like you and I have already sort of gone through the list of characters and are like, well, yeah, who else is there really? And especially like who else has like sort of the staying power that Anya does that isn't like one of the Scoobies. Right. Like, yeah, right. it's right. pretty much has to be her. Yeah, right. I mean, if he knows he doesn't want to, to kill the trio or Giles, she's the next one down the ladder, you know? And if he's looking for deaths with impact, then I think hers and Spike's are clearly the, where you're going to get that emotional impact in terms of having that long relationship with the audience and everything. And then you, and then you pad it out with a few Mm -hmm. lesser things like, like Amanda or whatever. Um, So, but yeah. Yeah, I mean that those are just sort of reactions and and things that various people say about it. Um I again, like as a fan of the character, obviously I don't like that she dies, but like from a story perspective, I think it makes sense and and works in that regard. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, um, and I won't, I mean... Okay. 
as far as I know, I don't think we actually see her yet. Like even in like the comics and stuff. Like I don't think like there are other characters that we eventually might see again, like even who have died or whatever. Unless unless it's in maybe one of the newer seasons that I haven't gotten to yet. I don't think she comes back either. So like like it is sort of a final mortal mm-hmm. In that regard, as final of a mortal death yeah. as you can kind of get in the Buffy verse, um, at least for now. I mean, they are still like mm-hmm. actually making new ones. I think they're on season eleven now, so potentially she could at some point if she hasn't already. And mm-hmm. I'm just forgetting, but um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, and given the the speech from the body that you brought up, you know, it's a fitting end. I don't know whether that makes it Mm. ironic or appropriate or what, but like after her kind of articulation of the kind of absurd finality of death, then like, yeah, I feel like her going out in this way makes it kind of makes logical sense with that, that it would echo back to the kind of senselessness and kind of boringness of the way that she talked about Joyce. Um, and the, uns- the, the non-satisfaction of it. So like, let's start and talk through Spike's ending. Cause Spike is the opposite. Like Spike is the death mm. that is like the hero's death where you get, satisfaction like there's a sense of closure to it and like a fulfillment of like you, you, like that's kind of more the the good death of like like oh yeah like if he's gonna go down this is the way you want him to go like in this blaze of glory and like satisfied with what his role is and you know laughing sure. as he sort of starts <laughs> to burn up and um and hearing from Buffy even what he wants to hear, even if he knows she's kind of right. telling him what he wants to hear. Like he's still like everything is there to kind of give him the satisfaction of that. And I feel like for the audience, like it's that sort of I don't know, more like it has a more complete feeling, as opposed to the mm-hmm. randomness of Anya's. Um, and I think maybe that kind of works too with the fact that even if people didn't know he was coming back to Angel um, sure, <laughs> I know it <laughs> so like it's kind of like fine then let him have his big like you know music swelling hero moment because we're going to get like more with him and like it's okay that the death is undercut mm-hmm. because he went out in a really good way and you know like it's a good I I think if you're going to move him over to Angel it's sort of why would he leave Buffy and here's a really good reason like you know he goes down in this kind of amazing moment of you know heroism so like and and, you know and dies so we're Mm -hmm. severing him from the Buffy storyline um, and like freeing the character up to go off and do other things. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Anything else to add about the spike? I mean, not really, I think. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think definitely. While I still think Wesley's journey is like better overall and like more uh you know mm-hmm. sort of complex and in, in long term like spike's spike definitely has like his is up there like from the redemption story and like the chain from when we sort of first see him to, to the end mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, and that's just a, such a nice subversion and just acceptance when she says that she loves him and he's, no, you don't, but thanks for saying it. Like, you know, like, I don't know, just the kind of unexpected twist to that is um, like a kind of good note to leave the character on of just, you know, like he and Buffy are finally like, kind of on the same page that like he's not expecting more than what she can give to him but is just appreciating what she does give and that sort of the the gesture of saying that she cares for him is enough you know um which i think means that she does love him she might not be in love with him you know but the fact that she's going out of her way to connect with him in his final moment, like, I think demonstrates right. her affection for him. Right. And he sort of takes it Yeah, in it's that not spirit. necessarily a romantic um, love, but it's it's certainly an affection and, I mean, stronger than affection, I would even say, but, like, you know, not, not like... Right. I want to be with you forever as my romantic partner, <laughs> necessarily, kind of thing. Right, right, right. But it is a kind of love. Um, yeah. So, all right. <laughs> so there's another Hellmouth in Cleveland. Yeah. So, so um, I don't know if you out. remember. Um. So. This the saga continues potentially, you know, in the comics. Like, well, again, and, it's that closure without closure. Like, you know. Evil isn't vanquished forever. There are other things on this earth that yes, need to be that is true. fought and dealt with. Don't get hung up on the Cleveland Hellmouth though, because like that's not necessarily like where the the comics go. But yes. Oh no, I'm no. I think that's a that's well, a and symbol and it's also a callback. Larger. Um, yeah. I don't know if you remember in the Wish, which is you know the oh well where we, where we meet Anya actually and. Um, the alternative universe, right? Where like Xander and Willow are uh, vampires and um, you get Cordy kind of going around, like discovering, you know, sort of this alternative universe. And one of the, one of the reasons why Sunnydale is so bad is because Buffy never went there. She's in Cleveland at this other hellmouth. So I don't I don't know that you would necessarily remember that because right. it's sort of like okay, this, yeah. you know a one off thing, but um, but that's that's the callback there is that mm-hmm. 
you know, they had mentioned this sort of as a possibility in the alternative universe. So like it's coming back in to say like, like maybe, maybe Cleveland's like really a crap hole because Buffy never went there in this world instead of, you know, in the wish where she had gone right, uh, right. to Cleveland instead of Sunnydale. Right. Um, I did not remember that, but it, now that you say it, I do. Uh, that um, sounds more familiar. I, I will like, I don't want to get into the comics again. Cause like we can talk about that after the seasonal and like series stuff. But like, I will say that like, while the Cleveland Hellmouth might be mentioned again at some point. Like, it's not like a major plot, at least of like season eight and nine that I'm aware of. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. like bigger picture. I definitely agree that there's or like higher level or whatever. I definitely agree that there's like a sense there of this continuation. Like, this is this is just part of the fight. Like, the first evil isn't defeated the particular plan is defeated but Mm -hmm. the first evil is still there and like uh you know happening you, you know like able presumably to like continue doing what it's doing there's uh certainly plenty of other evils out there you know, uh, as well. So, yeah, I think, Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely an idea of, like, this is just the beginning. Like, we didn't activate all these layers for, like, one little battle. Like, there's more to come. Right. 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 And there is more evil out there, but now it's not all on Buffy to single-handedly sort of defeated all herself and I think that's you get like everybody else is chattering and she's just quiet and sort of smiling and you get her sort of peacefulness you know of you're not the only the one and only chosen you just gotta live like a person now and like that's the thing that she's been wishing for the entire time is to not be singled out like the only one with this destiny and burden on her. Um, So it's like, kind of doesn't matter what they do tomorrow. She's found a certain level of contentment um, just in the kind of activation of all these other potentials. So yeah, it's a very, that's a nice, lovely ending with kind of just the camera pulling in on her while everybody else sort of jokes and you know yeah. asks questions and talks is, and everything um, um that final scene like have you seen that like images of that anywhere like a buffy like standing there with the others kind of around her yeah with the bus behind them i, yeah, I feel like familiar. it's Pretty iconic. Yeah. Right. Like maybe. Yes. You didn't I mean, I didn't. In context, I didn't. I didn't understand kind of the significance of it, but that does. I, that did I would have been surprised if you hadn't, because like, I feel like. It's almost certainly been used mm-hmm. on like. Articles and like. 
you know, tweets and things that you would have seen. But, um, yeah. And like articles and stuff. Before Xander got his eye poked out, like, I would have, like, wondered, like, if you had seen, like, mm-hmm. that image and seen, like, Xander with an eye patch kind of thing, like, as well. And I think I said that at the time that that was, I think I yeah. hadn't seen images but, like, of this was a spe- like, a specific one um, that I was thinking of that, like, you probably would have seen. Um, although I guess it depends on, like, how tightly pulled into gotcha. Buffy yeah. whatever image you saw of it was, right? Like, because they're all kind of standing there, but it just depends, like, where they cropped it or, like, right. zoomed it or whatever. Um, right, how far it zoomed in. Right. Like, not right. everything was really, like, registering. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we're done. We've talked almost three hours about this finale. Um, I think, which is fine. Good Good, good call on moving the uh, as I thought Dr. we might Who discussion to next week. Although that I don't know that that means the discussion is going to be any shorter. We we still got like the entire Buffy series and Doctor Who Moffat era to talk through. Like, well, at least we didn't right. shortchange for sure. Chosen, you know. Um, whereas if, if we have to be stricter on the recaps, we can keep it a little higher. I'd rather do that. So, um, very well. Well, and in that, uh, vein, then we'll be back next week with some more, uh, Buffy and Dr. Who the last of Buffy and some more Dr. Who, but the last for a while of that as well. Um, yeah, the last until we have some new episodes right. to discuss. So, yep. Sounds good. See you then. Mm-hmm.